Exodus 15, um, verses 1 to 21. That's on page 68 of your Bibles. And we'll do the Song of Moses after this has happened. Okay, page 68. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider, his throne into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he has cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a pile. The deep, the deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide my spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard and they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. Because of the greatness of your arm, they are still as a stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea... The Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them, but the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. How can we know? that God will look after us? How can we know that he will protect us? That his promises for the future are dependable? That we are right to rely on him? How can we know that God has any power over evil? Any ability to respond to the chaos in the world around us? To the horrors we keep on seeing as we open the news Perhaps that's a question we found ourselves asking recently. Perhaps as we look ahead to a new year, we're lacking confidence. We're not really sure whether following Jesus 
is worth it. Whether he can make any difference. Whether God should be on our priority list for 2024. Well, my hope is that as we look at this triumphant song of praise, which Natalie has just read for us, that we, like Moses, will praise our powerful, promise-keeping Lord who protects his people. We will rejoice in all he has done and rely on all he will do. Now, as Jeff says, many of us have been studying Exodus together in our small groups, and this is where we've got to so far. It's lovely to have many friends and guests and visitors with us today. Uh, And if you're visiting today or you aren't able to join us normally on Thursdays, uh, I think the song can speak for itself. Uh, Do keep it open there on page 68. Though you would, of course, be more than welcome to join us uh, on Thursday nights in the new year. As we read it, you'll see it's a glorious song celebrating God's rescue. The first of many such songs are recorded in the Bible in the history of God's people. And it takes place on the banks of the sea as God's people look out on the waters, which God has just parted in two for them to cross safely and then brought back over the pursuing Egyptians, destroying their enemies and completing their rescue. And in the song, there's a pattern, a pattern of looking back to what God has just done, his mighty, decisive rescue, and then looking forward with confidence to what he is going to do, continuing to keep his promises, to powerfully protect his people. So to begin with, let's take a look at what God has done. If you grab your handouts, uh, you'll see this on there as our first heading. Rejoice in God's triumphant past deliverance. Rejoice in God's triumphant past deliverance. We can see that right there from verse 1, can't we? Moses says, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. Right from the start, this is a song of praise, of exulting in who God is and what he has done, of rejoicing in his triumphant deliverance, his salvation, And it's a fitting response in view of what's just happened, as we've just heard about. In the previous chapter, we've seen the narrative version. um, But even here in the song, we see a summary of it. Uh, Look at verse 4. It says, Pharaoh's chariots and his host God cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. It's a song of great triumph, celebrating a remarkable victory. Uh, Just to remind us um, how we got here in the the book as a whole, uh, at the start of the book of Exodus, uh, we saw that God's people in Egypt have grown hugely over a few generations. But instead of enjoying God's blessing um, as his people, they were made to work as slaves uh, with bitter, hard service. 
In order to stop them growing, the king of Egypt had also brought in a special policy of killing every newborn son, having them thrown into a river. But God was determined to rescue his people, to keep his promises. And so through God's intervention, one child was spared. Moses, our our chorus leader today, the leader who God used to bring his people out of Egypt. Pharaoh refused to let God's people go. And time and time again, he resisted Moses, even when God sent plagues, proving that he was the one true creator God who was not to be messed with. Finally, after the 10th plague, Pharaoh at last said that they could go. But after sending God's people out, he changed his mind and decided to pursue them, to go after his workforce and bring them back. Now, I guess at that point, after the high of escaping Egypt, things would have looked at their lowest for Moses. God's people had all of Pharaoh's chariots behind them and a huge body of water in front of them, leaving them stranded in the middle. And at that point, the people, so quickly forgetting all that God had already done, they asked Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? It would have been better to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But despite the people's doubts and their forgetfulness, God continues to be in control, to powerfully work to protect his people, to keep his promises, to bless them and take them out into the land that he had promised. After all, what is a small body of water to the God who made the seas? God parts the water with as much effort as you or me sneezing. And then once his people have safely crossed over, he brings them crashing back down over his enemy. Like a toddler dropping a stone to the the bottom of a pool, uh, watching the splash and listening for the dull thud. God has powerfully worked to rescue his people. And so they rejoice in God's triumphant deliverance. Uh, We can see it, can't we? How effortless this deliverance is for God. Have a look at verse 5. The floods covered them. They went down to the depths like a stone. Or verse 8. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a pile. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw the sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. While the enemy are proudly plotting their conquest, planning what they will do with all their reclaimed plunder, dreaming up how my desire shall have its fill of them. Well, while they're busy counting their chickens, plotting evil against God's people, they didn't count on who they were up against. Not the might of Moses or of Aaron or Miriam or the people, but their God, their father's God, the Lord. The Lord who works powerfully to rescue his people, who can do all things, working wonders. 
This God, our God, has the whole world in his hand. And he used his creation to destroy his enemies. As easy as blowing out a birthday candle and the army sank like lead in the waters. Now, it's been pretty windy this week, hasn't it? Um, I'm told it was named uh, Storm Gerrit. Uh, and as powerful as Gerrit, slightly strange name, but anyway, um, apparently it's Dutch. Uh, as powerful as Gerrit was, um, destroying some homes and nearly ripping out a tree outside my bedroom window last night. Uh, and by the sounds of it, bringing whole transport systems to a standstill. Um, I guess this blast of wind um, was, was even stronger uh, to pile up the waters and then to send them crashing down. And yet, uh, all of that powerful wind uh, to God was just the blast of his nostrils, just a breath. It's a very vivid description, isn't it? It matches exactly what we've seen in the narrative, uh, but it's told in such a captivating way. We can't help but wonder at who God is and rejoice in his powerful deliverance. Now, I wonder, uh, if you were putting this song to music, uh, what sort of tune you would go for? Uh, Maybe a climactic scene uh, from the end of a film, uh, like an exciting bit of of Hans Zimmer or or John Williams' um, score, as the enemy is defeated and order is restored in, think, The Lord of the Rings or or Star Wars or or Gladiator. But perhaps uh, the group singing together, together, it might be a little bit more earthy, like we've already thought about, like a big crowd singing together, at a football stadium, as their team smashes the enemy in the Boxing Day match. And as victory chants go, this is pretty thrilling stuff, isn't it? There is no one like our God. He has triumphed gloriously. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. It's a powerful, triumphant song of a historic victory. Uh, But as Lizzie has already helped us to see, uh, this isn't quite like the chance you might get at the stadium. It's no, we are the champions. It's entirely you, you, you. Your right hand, O Lord. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. If our favourite sports team uh, is winning, uh, we so quickly claim victory, as if we, uh, from our seat at the stadium or on the sofa, had anything to do with it. Um, But yet here, Moses sees that this victory was entirely from God. His powerful, triumphant rescue, not the people's. Uh, Perhaps we want to read it as a great escape story, uh, like the epic a 1963 film, Escaping from uh, World War II, Prisoner of War Camp. Or if you're a bit more classy, uh, like the 2000 version of basically the same story, Chicken Run. Um, uh, And it's true that this is a great escape. Uh, uh, In fact, it's more monumental on a far bigger scale against a far more fearsome enemy. And yet, unlike those films, the thing being celebrated here is not the ingenuity of some prisoners or some chickens. Uh, It's the triumphant power of the one true God. 
The, the film Prince of Egypt, when it first came out, was billed as the story, uh, billed this story as a celebration of the human spirit. But I think Moses would have something different to say about that, wouldn't he? The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. And yet, as we look at this, um, at this moment, it's possible that your reaction uh, might at first be more shock uh, than wonder. More, what sort of God would do this uh, than who is like you, O Lord? And maybe you're struggling to see this rescue act as a moment of majestic holiness. And it's worth looking back at this moment uh, to what we've seen in the book of Exodus so far, thinking back to the horror of a baby killing a slave-driving pharaoh. He isn't a neutral character. Even in the song, the Egyptians say, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. Uh, and, And Pharaoh's defeat, as we can see from the tone of this song, it's not an event we should try to sit over and judge as if we know better than God, as if we want justice more than God does. We might uh, genuinely, uh, sincerely struggle to get our heads around this. Uh, And and I think I want to say that's okay. Um, After all, uh, this majestic, unique, almighty God uh, is so much greater than us. We couldn't hope to fully wrap our heads around him. If if we could, uh, then I guess he wouldn't be God after all. And also, he's so worthy of praise that any desire to ignore him to suppress him, like Pharaoh does throughout Exodus, is a grave evil. Uh, And if we are struggling there, um, it's worth um, chewing over this book as a whole, and it's worth praying for God's help uh, to understand him better, to have our view of him increased, uh, to trust his goodness, even when we don't fully understand his actions. Uh, But I think it is worth seeing that Pharaoh's judgment is totally just, totally deserved from the pure wickedness of his actions, his consistent treatment of God's people, his forced labor, his genocide, and more than that, his determined rebellion against God, his creator, the man who said in chapter five, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord." And moreover, I will not let Israel go. That man, he is humbled by the triumphant rescue of the Lord. In a book where God states so many times his desire to make himself known, uh, the right response is not to reject him like Pharaoh, who is the Lord that I should obey him, but to rejoice in him and his triumphant deliverance. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? And this pattern of looking back at God's past deliverance comes back time and time again through the rest of the Bible. The Old Testament frequently calls to mind these events in order to inspire praise and rejoicing and to turn our minds back to God, this awesome deliverer who will continue to keep his promises. And that brings us to our second heading, the second half of the pattern at which this song shows. As we rejoice in God's triumphant past deliverance, we can also rely on God's guaranteed 
future deliverance. Now, this might at first sound like a stretch, but as you read the last few verses of this song, you'll see that some of the events Moses describes haven't happened yet. In fact, he sings a whistle-stop guide to the next few hundred years of Israel's history. Look at verse 14. The peoples have heard. They tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. These are, the, these are enemies who the people haven't met yet, but who are currently filling the land God had promised to them. And though it would be centuries before this is all fulfilled, Moses can speak with such certainty about the future, all because of what God has done in the past. That's the pattern, isn't it? Why are these enemies so scared? Verse 16, terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. God's greatness is being made known through these lands. And as such, the other nations are terrified. They see that they are no match for this nation, not with this powerful God on their side. In verse 16, they are petrified, scared stiff, still as a stone, because of the greatness of God's arm, the arm which has brought about this powerful rescue. They're like rabbits in the headlights, with no hope, no plan, nothing they can do to match this God. And so Moses can speak of this future conquest as if it's already in the past. It's that certain, that guaranteed, something to rely on. We can rely on God's guaranteed future deliverance. That same pattern is there in verses 12 and 13 too. Have a read with me. And as we do, think about the timeline in Moses' song uh, and then in the Bible's story. So verse 12. You have stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. You stretched out your hand. Well, that's happened. But you have led in your steadfast love. That sounds like the next few decades of Israel's history in the wilderness. And you have guided them to your holy abode. Well, it's a long time until they finally settle in the promised land. Longer still before God's temple is built there. And yet these three words, you stretched out, you led, you guided, they all speak in the past as if it's already accomplished. In fact, there's some great poetry going on here. I'm told that these uh, three verbs starting each sentence uh, sound quite similar. Apparently it's uh, natita, nahita, nehalta. Uh, They almost rhyme. Uh, It's a bit like that famous phrase attributed to Julius Caesar. You know the one, uh, weeny, weedy, weeky. I came, I saw, I conquered. 
a phrase that you'll see on all sorts of t-shirts and tea towels, uh, which people might try to sell you on the streets of Rome if you, if you ever go there. Uh, Caesar's famous boast came from a battle he won uh, in modern-day Turkey. And like most human boasts, like those victory songs, it's all me, me, me. Uh, look what I did. A perfect words to stick uh, on an inscription on his triumphant return home. I came, I saw, I conquered. But unlike that, Moses' song wasn't uh, me, me, me. It was you, you, you. You stretched out, you led, you guided. And even more strikingly, the things he praises God for, they haven't even finished yet. And yet Moses can confidently sing as if it's all guaranteed. You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. As we rejoice in God's triumphant past deliverance, we can rely on God's guaranteed future deliverance. But you might be thinking, uh, well, that's all well and good for Moses and the people, uh, but I've never heard of Moab or been particularly concerned by the leaders of Canaan. Uh, What has this got to do with me? Well, uh, firstly, as lots of us have seen uh, through our Bible studies in Exodus, uh, one thing to always remember is that uh, though we are not there in this story directly, our God is. The God we read about in Exodus is the very same God we can know today. And through this book, through his powerful acts in history, through his promise-keeping rescue of his people, he wants to make himself known to us. So everything we see about the character of the Lord in Exodus tells us glorious things we can rejoice in about our God. But more than that, uh, this pattern of looking back to past rescue, to give us confidence, um, to rely on God's ultimate deliverance, uh, is a pattern that we too are invited to enjoy now. Our God has never gone back on his word, and he has shown he has more than powerful enough to deliver on all of his promises. The language in this song of the defeat of God's enemies, it's big, expansive language. Pharaoh is, is, is described in terms almost of cosmic evil, of God's great enemy being sunk in the chaos of the sea. Pharaoh was the great serpent-like enemy of God's people. And later on in the Bible, as Psalms celebrate this victory in the sea, the image used is of the slaying of the sea dragon, of God's great enemy, the devil. And Egypt is depicted as Sheol, as the place of death, pointing beyond just this human Pharaoh. Uh, So the the defeat of Pharaoh was not the ultimate triumph over evil, not the ultimate defeat of Satan and of death. Uh, But for us, uh, living on the other side of Jesus' birth, his death and resurrection, we can see more of this story. We have even more to rejoice in and to rely on. I guess that's what we've just remembered at Christmas, Jesus coming to earth, a God as man dwelling with man to save his people from their sins. 
Uh, This very Sunday, uh, many churches around the country will uh, hear the events of Jesus' infancy, when much like in Moses' time, a power-hungry king sought the death of a generation of baby boys. And like in Moses' time, uh, through God's intervention, a boy was spared who would deliver his people. Uh, Jesus, whose name means the Lord saves, he came to deal a death blow to our biggest enemy, the devil, under under whom humanity has lived in slavery to sin. In Jesus, God cancelled the record of debt that stood against us, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. As such, even death no longer has any sting, any lasting power. We may not yet see the full effect of that. Our world is still marked by death. And despite the changing work of God's spirit, our lives are still marked by sin. But though the devil continues to thrash around, Jesus has dealt the decisive blow. And now his ultimate victory is inevitable. The battles may still go on, but we know how the war will end. We can have complete confidence in God's ultimate triumph over evil, even while we await its full conclusion because of all that he has done in the past, because of all the promises of his word, and supremely because of the work of Jesus, conquering our great enemy. And so, like Moses and the people here, we can sing of God's rescue. We can look back to see what he has done and rely on what he will do. Like them, we can say, verse 18, a glorious end to this amazing song. The Lord will reign forever and ever. The Lord, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the powerful, promise-keeping protector of his people, will reign forever and ever. So how can we know that God will look after us, that he has any power over evil, that we are right to place our confidence in him in 2024. Uh, Well, like Moses, uh, like God's people here, we can look back rejoicing in God's triumphant past deliverance and then look forward relying on God's guaranteed future deliverance, his rescue, his salvation. This is just what we need to hear, isn't it? Uh, When we're weak or wandering, Uh, weary or wobbly, we need to lift our gaze, not to ourselves, but to our great God. We can make these words our own. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. And as we close, um, I guess it's worth noticing that uh, something we can help each other to do, isn't it? Uh, It's worth saying it's not an accident that this is a song, Uh, It wasn't just Moses experimenting with different writing styles through the book of Exodus. I hope we've already seen, as we've chewed over these verses this morning, how the powerful words of this song inspire our praise, even more than the plain narrative version could have. Uh, This was a song sung in verse 1 by Moses and the people, uh, and then the refrain is repeated, verse 20, by Miriam and all the women, uh, There's something immensely valuable in singing God's praise to one another. 
as the emotions of the music reinforce those truths about God. That's, uh, yeah, that's why it's so important that the words that we sing point us to God. Let's use music, that powerful thing, to rejoice in God's triumphant past deliverance, to remind ourselves and one another of all he has done and all that he has promised to do for us. But even when we're not singing, uh, this same pattern of looking back to God's acts of rescue in order to give us confidence for his future deliverance, it's a pattern that we can replicate today, uh, reflecting on the work of Jesus for us, reminding one another of his mercy towards us, rejoicing together through good times and bad in his steadfast loving kindness to us. We can rely on our God, our powerful, promise-keeping, protector God, and looking back to his triumphant deliverance in the past and looking ahead to his guaranteed deliverance in the future. Let's pray. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. Father God, we thank you that there is no one like you, that you have shown us your unique, glorious triumph and your great acts of rescue. Please help us as we look back to all you have done to continue to rely on you and your certain future rescue of us. In Jesus' name, amen.